This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. I'm your host, Tom Hudson, and our guest today is your regular host and my longtime friend, Beth Jones. This show is the first of two episodes where we explore some of the themes in Bev's helpful new book, Find Your Happy at Work. In that book, Bev says that work and play may have more in common than you realize. I ask her what she means by that, and we talk about how you can make your work feel more like play. We discuss why a positive attitude can be key to finding joy and success in your career and how you can choose positivity. And we explore strategies to help you become more engaged on the job, like finding learning opportunities, teaching, reading, and writing, and responding to boredom by taking action. Bev, book number two, Find Your Happy at Work. Um, What a title. Uh, I couldn't have imagined a title like that, but somehow you came up with it and it's, it's true to your character and true to your beliefs. Well, it's a reflection partly of what I've learned as a coach and what science is discovering the importance of being positive at work, but partly, you know, it's a reflection of, um, experiences that I had that helped me learn that it's possible for me to choose to be positive and to be happier. And that when I'm not, a lot of it's because of things I'm doing. So it's partly the outcome of self-reflection after a a very long career. Well, let me talk about COVID for a, a moment and what it's done to me. I can only speak from me, but I have a feeling it's redefining work and it's redefining um, the interchange between family. We used to talk about work-life balance. Now it seems to be all integrated and messed up and twisted, and it's going to stay that way, I think, for a very long time. Doesn't that present some problems? I don't know that it presents problems so much as um, realizations and opportunities. We've had, I think, strained and unnecessarily harsh and limited um, attitudes toward work. I think in some cases it uh, in past decades, it's been particularly hard on on women and people of color who've entered professions where they weren't able to be in the past and have been under pressure to super perform. That's made it worse for some people. But our, our whole um, understanding of work and success, I think, has, has been pretty narrow and not very helpful. What has happened it feels to me, and I'm reflecting my experience and the research I've been reading and the the various clients I've worked with, what feels to me is that the pause and the uh, remote work in many cases, or sometimes if you're in healthcare, for example, the intensification of work 
everybody's had um, something happen, it feels like, during COVID. And because of that mass event, we've all paused a little bit and thought, gosh, um, is this what I want out of work? Life is short. Is this what I want out of life? And how do I integrate work into a life that'll be really meaningful? So it's, it's you know, any kind of growth can be painful, but I think um, whatever we end up with a few years from now is going to be better than where, as a culture, we were a few years ago. I, I know one thing that you talk about in, in your book is that work is not different from play. Now, I, I, I'm not arguing with you, but I want, I want to set this up a little bit. We've talked about a changing definition of, of work. Um, how did those two concepts, work and play, mesh in 2021 and onward? When things are going really well, work and play will sometimes happen at the same time. And more people will have more opportunities to get paid for activities that they enjoy so much that it's almost like playing. We're just moving, I think, to a better um, merging of work and play and um, a wider awareness that, that leisure and enjoying life and having fun are important. But, but work seems to me as a layperson, and you, you're the expert, Work has always been sort of um, drudgery. You know, I I hate Sunday nights. I still hate Sunday nights because it was, oh, my God, I got to go back to whatever the next day on on Monday, whether it was school or a job or in court or or whatever. Uh, There was that sense of duty and obligation, but also a sense of drudgery. Uh, and if it wasn't hard work, then it was of less value. Can you talk about that? Yes. Uh, first, um, it isn't the sense of drudgery isn't so much about the activity sometimes as it is your sense of how much um, freedom you have in pursuing the activity. And let may I use you as a Oh, please do. I need all the help you can give me. You are passionate about everything you've done from law to journalism, um, to doing podcasts, to uh, directing schools. You know, you've had so many different kinds of um, activities. And in all of those, you've had moments and activities of great passion. Some of those things were, um, took place in the course of your paid job. And by play, I don't mean something frivolous. I mean something that's fun and meaningful to do, something you really enjoyed. You got into podcasting partly because it seemed intriguing and you enjoyed it, right? Right, right. Um, I enjoyed yeah. talking to people and, and learning new things. So, so it's a perfect example of when work and play can happen at the same time. So what I've been thinking about over the years, and I... I think it's still not clear, but what's the difference 
It's not the amount of effort. If you really have fun, if play is really great, you put as much effort in it to it as you put into a job you really care about. I think about it. Think about little kids learning to play baseball and practicing again and again and again. Think about whether you're riding a bike, you're playing tennis, you're trying to develop a skill. Really fun things often require a lot of effort. So work and play are the same there. The, the difference seems to be that if you are told exactly what to do, um, if, you have, if you perceive yourself as having no choices, if you feel like you have an obligation to follow somebody else's approach, um, in the old day when you worked uh, the five days and you took um, the weekend off, on Sunday, if that's how you were thinking about your job the next day, you would dread going to work. But part of what um, I think my, my book is about, and I think um, research and common experiences of the, maybe the last couple of years have, have shown, is that we all have more choice than we thought we did. I mean, one of the things you can do is you can choose your attitude, you can choose your timing, you can choose how you approach work, you can, um, you know, you have just about any client I've ever talked with who feels kind of trapped and stuck and, you know, all of those awful things. As we started talking, they recognize a lot of things comes from a habit and attitude. So you have more choice than you realize. And as soon as an activity involves conscious choice in your part and learning and experimentation, it gets to be fun again. Does that all make sense? Yeah, I'm trying to put myself in that spot. I'm not quite there yet, but... Help me out maybe as a transition. You talk about research and research-based. And in your book, you talk about an engagement triangle. And I found that intriguing. Uh, so could you explain a little bit what that means and how that fits into what we've been talking about? Sure. And what I did years ago when I was um, coaching at the time, I was coaching quite a few young leaders who were managing for the first time, and they were in, often in situations where their people who they were leading were pretty disengaged from work, and actually sometimes the clients themselves were rather disengaged. And so, so much has been written about this, and organizations like Gallup have done lots of um, research on how many people are engaged, you know, really into their work and found that the majority of people are not. And what I tried to do was go through lots and lots of research and books and surveys and all kinds of things to, in my head, summarize what do the scholars and the practitioners say uh, about the, the ways you can trigger more engagement, more joy, and meaning on the job. And it struck me that it almost always comes down to three things that I've um, labeled in my practice as the engagement triangle. And sometimes I think of it as the three Ps. It's purpose, people, and performance. Do you want me to go through each of yeah, those? Yeah, please. Well, when we're talking about purpose, um, sometimes the word organizations use a lot is mission, but it's really not about one mission. It's about an alignment of mission and purpose on the jobs. First, you're more likely to be happy if you believe in the values and the purpose of your organization. 
um, it's important that you um, have an understanding and an acceptance of the values of your immediate group, your team, and you are much like you're more likely to get um, satisfaction from your career if you know why you're working, why are you doing this, if you have self-awareness around what you enjoy and what you don't enjoy, and um, that alignment of, of, of purpose, of mission, um, by focusing on those things, maybe journaling or talking with people, the more uh, you feel like there's alignment, the happier you're going to be. The next one are just people. They're the people who are impacted by your work. Maybe they're people who benefit from your work. They're so not, not, necess- not necessarily those that you work with, although that's a component. It goes beyond that. Exactly. For, uh, for you and me, um, isn't it wonderful to have the conversations we have with people we'd never meet? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's an extraordinary kind of um, connection. And for some people, it's, it's um, engaging every day. If you work the front in a restaurant or you're um, a, somebody in a hospital, there, there are so many different ways we interact with people. But having a healthy sense of connection um, and being aware of the joy of that, that's a really important part of engagement. And, and then the third one is more about the work itself. And that gets back to a little bit of what I was talking about before, which is that work can be tedious. If, if you in your head you think it's drudgery, and you think, well, I'm not going to try to do any better. You know, they don't pay me enough. I'm not going to make any extra effort. As soon as you do that, you um, um, commit yourself to, to being unhappy and unsatisfied. The performance uh, aspect is about how you go about doing the work. And if you do it in such a way that you're learning, that you're building skill, that you're developing and exercising expertise, um, that you are trying new things every day, that you're um, trying to find ways to grow. If you're doing those things, even in a job which by itself is limited, if you're using it as an opportunity uh, to grow in some way, you're going to enjoy it more. So that part is um, very much within your control. And I know lots of people think, I don't have any control. They tell me what to do. I just have to do it their way. But Working one-on-one with lots of people, I know that as soon as you start thinking uh, about different ways to do it, ways to do things to develop your own skills and and ways Taking to, ownership of it, yeah, so to speak. That can change everything. So if you think about uh, the three corners of this triangle and kind of click through questions, your own questions that you develop for yourself, that's a terrific way to kind of gauge how you are on Sunday night instead of dreading work and, and adjusting your mindset. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. 
The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Masters in Public Administration or Environmental Studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash school. So a lot of what you're talking about goes back to the word attitude and a person's attitude about their work, person's attitude about what they do. Um, I, I think I've always had a pretty positive attitude towards work, but I have to say that during the, the pandemic and during isolation, I have become more of an isolationist than ever. I think that now I can only do my work in a solitary environment where uh, I don't have to deal with people. I don't have to small talk with people. I don't have to be nice to people I don't want to be nice to. I don't have any of those social conformities that on the job normally would have. I'm not sure whether that's a positive thing towards my attitude, but it certainly has an impact in my work. Talk me out of this funk. Well, let me take a couple of different directions here. First, I'll just comment that this feeling of, I don't want to go back to work. I don't want to see people. I don't want to go out to dinner. I don't want to call my mother. There's an epidemic of that around the country. And it's People tend to have momentum, social momentum sometimes. And if um, you feel like, oh, I just can't bear to see people, uh, I don't know about you because I know you have you know, a great wife and you, lots of other things going. But if a person hears themselves saying, I don't want to see anybody, that's a sign that you're lonely. And it's counterintuitive maybe, but a, a um, symptom sometimes of serious loneliness and isolation is this unwillingness to go out and do something about it. So you can get into a a negative loop. So I do want to mention that not wanting to go out and connect with people at all, that's a sign that maybe you need to reach out to some people you trust and start building your social interaction again. Now, um, you don't have to get your social connection from your job. It's possible to work alone or work far away from other people. And it's possible to, you know, there are lots of ways to find the connection to need, that you need. But one thing to keep in mind is that human beings are hardwired to need connection with other people. If you look at our ancestors who, um, as a fire was found and uh, they were hunting and gathering on a big scale and people were starting to get organized around uh, cooking and and caring for people efficiently. If you look um, back, the people who had those connection skills who were able to live in communities are the ones who survived. People who were total owners their genes didn't continue because they were less likely to survive. You're so, telling me I'm doomed. I know. I'm saying that, uh, that you still have that need, even if you have, you're happier. 
uh, being by yourself more than most, that it's just part of who we are. And um, that's why isolation is and um, shunning people has been uh, a horrible um, way to um, impose discipline. It's people need people. Now, in your let, case, can, let me add, ask something, yeah. jump in here, yeah. if, I, if you don't mind. I don't mean to interrupt you, but, but it, it, I feel that my work is better since I've been isolated. My work is better when I'm not interrupted. My work is better when I don't have to do all of that other stuff. And therefore, I am more satisfied with my work, and I'm more satisfied that I'm being productive and I'm doing good things. It's like uh, my cell phone, for example. You know, I, I text with everyone. If I get a phone call, I'm really pissed off because that tells me that somebody else out there is interrupting me and interrupting my flow. I don't want to even answer the phone anymore because I think it interferes with my productivity. Am I totally whacked out here? No, but I think there's a danger of um, losing track of the need for balance. There's there are different kinds of work. The kind of things that you often do, um, as do I, that you might call deep work. It's you got to think about things. You've got to read. You've got to write. Writing a book um, and doing research, you don't want to be interrupted. It's a joy to have long periods when you don't have to talk to people. But other kinds of things are collaborative. We get new ideas with bumping against people. Now, while you're alone, you also have all of these um, interviews and things you do. So you're sure, not I'm isolated. Not, is it no, but, but personally, I'm, I'm alone. Yeah. And as we all were during COVID. But the, the thing to keep in mind is that some work is work best done by yourself um, and with blocks of time to concentrate but a lot of the stimulation, the new ideas, the creativity comes when you have um, other things stimulating you, whether um, it, it's colleagues or other people. You still need other people to get fresh ideas. And I know you're a great collaborator. I know you love to brainstorm. And, and so those kinds of things are better done with other people. You, you talk about so much uh, in, in your book, and, and I, <laughs> I think I'm a test case sometimes because you, you hit so many things that, that I need to do. But one of the things that I'm in 100% agreement with you and could not be more of an advocate for is uh, choosing to learn new things. Uh, that that keeps me alive, quite frankly. Yeah, that that is a key, and it's a point where uh, talking about work and play, it the characteristic of, of really enjoyable work and really enjoyable play is that you tend to be learning something and maybe transforming something with your knowledge. It is um, like. Uh, one thing I've read is that when you learn something new, that feeling of discovery, just that quick blip of discovery, 
feels very much like somebody gave you a gift, that you won something, that you won an award, that sense of getting something new in your head. It's just like getting somebody handing you a little reward. And your chemicals in your body give you the same sense as if somebody gave you a gift. Every little unit of learning is a little tiny gift. And so if you are learning, you're more likely to be in an authentic frame of mind. You're more likely to be self-aware. You're more likely to be um, feeling positive. And uh, when you're more positive, your brain allows you to be more creative. You have some specific uh, suggestions for people in your book. And we keep saying your book, the title is Find Your Happy at Work. And we're turning the tables on Bev and I get to host and she gets to talk about her book. That's, that's, that's what we're doing here today. But you, you have a couple of things in there about keeping a learning list. And then you talk about one thing that I didn't understand, and that is micro learning. So can you help me with ways to build in learning to the job? Sure. And the part of the point I'm making and offering different kinds of ways is just to make it clear there's lots of ways to learn, even if you think you're too busy to read a book. Um, one of the things I want to mention is there are two kinds of learning. There's the learning you get from observing. You make a mistake and you think, I can do it better next time. That's the kind of learning. But the learning are particularly talked about in that chapter is just constantly looking for new ideas, um, new little bits of knowledge. And the one way to do it, I think people used to do this when we were kids. Remember flashcards? Oh, God, yes. And, um, and word-a-day calendars that you'd have on the desk or the wall where you'd learn to spell or... A new vocabulary read. word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so now you can uh, set up apps. When I was trying not very successfully to learn Spanish, I had an app that would teach me a word a day. So it doesn't have to um, be a huge commitment of time. If you're if there's something you want to learn, you can do it in, in little bits and pieces. So that, that was the point about that. Um, and the idea of a learning list is that uh, we often, I think, um, see an article that we don't have time to read or a book that we don't have time to even open. And we think, gosh, I'd be interested in learning about that someday. Well, it's very handy if you have, particularly in the context of your work, where there may be an expertise or something, but if you have a list of things that would be nice to know, areas of expertise you'd like to um, develop, things that just seem interesting, if you have a list and you glance at it, maybe it's um, on your desktop or whatever, but if you have a list like that, you're much more likely, your filters are likely to work more effectively so that when you're skimming through a, a newspaper online or something, if there's something about that point, you're going to spot it. If you, if you have an idea of kinds of things to be interested in, the opportunities uh, will come. And if you um, have those kinds of ideas in mind, um, maybe interacting with colleagues, you'll have an opportunity to say, we should do X. Would you like me to research it? So having the list is really helpful. And One thing that I, 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 I noticed also is you talk about the flip side of learning, and that's teaching and the value of teaching 
to happiness at work. That's right. And I partly, uh, I mentioned teaching in, uh, in this context um, because it's a great way to learn. I mean, I know you've done it and I've done it. Oh, yeah. I learned, I learned so much from teaching other people. Yeah. I yeah. sometimes learn what I know and I sometimes learn what I don't know. Yeah. But there's another part of it. If you're serious about it, you're inherently focused on somebody else and somebody else's needs and somebody else's thoughts. And as soon as you're not so bogged down with that voice in your head and with your own self and you can really focus on other people, that you know takes a lot of burden off you and you tend to be happier. And then if you're able to to help somebody else, that is one of the ways to make you feel positive. So when you're working with students there at Ohio University and they really get it, that's exciting. You're giving them something, but doesn't it make you feel good when you really see them achieving? Oh yeah! Oh my God! Yes, you know they go on to do great things, and and uh, I just feel that I've been a little part of that, and it, that makes me feel wonderful. Yeah, that's 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 a warm and fuzzy for me. Yeah, and then that positivity um, is reflected in the next thing you're going to do. One thing I wanted to mention in terms of being positive is that we used to um, think, at least. People of our generation, I vaguely recall back in law school and so forth, that uh, we thought that if we worked really, really hard and we were successful, then one day we'd have time to be happy. Yeah. Uh, You're miserable now for putting it in the bank for happiness later. That's yeah. right. Well, that deferred gratification myth did not serve as well. And no, it did not. False. The, the research of recent years suggests that People who are positive, who are happy, who are upbeat, are more likely to be successful. The, the um, cause and effect goes uh, the other way. So that if you can manage your attitude and do what it takes to be more positive, uh, I mentioned earlier that when you're not in a uh, fight or flight mode, right. uh, you're, you can be more creative. That part of your brain is alive if it's not bogged down in worry and anxiety. Uh, other people are attracted to you. Uh, some research shows that when people are upbeat, other people even think that they that the, the upbeat person is more attractive. It's just um, a wonderful leadership characteristic. People like to be led by positive people. So there's so many ways that having a positive mindset, choosing and working on having a positive mindset, are going to lead you to success. The last thing I want to talk about today, Bev, is, is um, boredom. And... Uh, I have to say that I'm probably one of the rare people who can say I have never been bored in my life. I've always been able to play mental games or find something that breaks tedium. Uh, so this is sort of an alien world to me, but I know it happens and I know people get bored and they get bogged down and they feel like, uh, I think it's been described to me that they feel like they're sinking in quicksand. Just that boredom just keeps pulling them down. Uh, what, what can they do about that to help them? Well, the first thing I'll mention is a theory which resonates with me. I think it's true that this feeling of boredom, being stuck and dragged down and not feeling good and feeling negative is... Um, 
is a feeling that has a purpose. It is a trigger or a cue that it's time for you to do something. The best way to get out of boredom is to do something else, to find a way to change your approach, whatever you're doing. And it's kind of like um, when you're hungry or thirsty, those feelings aren't positive necessarily, but they're cues. You got to do something. You got to get a drink. You got to get something to eat. You got to take care of yourself. And the sense of boredom is partly a cue that it is up to you to do something different. And my speculation, Tom, um, is that you are in a meeting, you know it's tedious, you want it to end, that sense of, I got to get out of here, this is bullshit, that kind of thing. That feeling is the first start of boredom. And you just never stay in that uh, place long enough (laughs) to feel bogged down. You're, You're right. You experience the cue and you act very quickly. I either, if I can't escape, I'll start drawing (laughs) on my my pad. So I'm escaping one way or the other. Yeah, boredom um, is maybe a signal that it's time for you to take responsibility and find a way to amuse, engage, stretch yourself. But let's let's talk about boredom, though, as it relates to what we've been through and what we're still going through with the the, the pandemic. The hours and hours and hours of meetings online. Um, you, your husband and I just did a an eight hour uh, uh, seminar together or workshop together online. Yeah, these poor people were sitting looking at a screen for eight hours. You know, they should have been bored out of their minds. They were fairly engaged. I have to give them credit. But this whole world of, you know, talking through screens, I think, amps up the boredom factor. It's not only boredom in the sense that you want to try something different. I think it's exhaustion. Okay. Well, okay. But, Good. what I've read is it's really harder on your brain to concentrate on the content of the meeting when you're trying to um, get what people are saying. The sound may not be good. You maybe can't see the expressions. It it seems that talking remotely for long periods of times is really tiring, and it's when you get tired, it's just hard to keep going. Yeah, there's that. Uh and I don't know whether the words are synonymous, you can help me, but tedium, you know, yeah. being t- something being tedious and boredom, uh, there seems to be a very fine line between those two. I encourage people to take breaks. It's um, the, anything kind of gets boring in the middle. Uh, we like beginnings and ends. You know, we like the start of new things, but we aren't built to have everything be a marathon where we sit in meetings for hours and hours to do anything for hours and hours, we're better off, um, we're more likely to do well to achieve things and feel good about it when we sprint through life. When we have, um, we work hard at something for an hour and 90 minutes and then we have a break, we do something else. We get up and move around, go outside. We, We are not really at our best if we have to um, stare at a screen all day. And it is more difficult, even for people who like to be alone, 
it's more difficult on managing your attention uh, if, if everything is done virtually. Bev, if somebody wants to follow up uh, with your book, Find Your Happy at Work, it's available how? Anywhere you buy your books. Whether, <laughs> That's you know, good. Good thing. Amazon or one of the big sellers or your local independent bookstore. It's um, uh, You can order books just about anywhere these days. And uh, um, I, I hope you find it interesting. Bev, as always, it's great talking with you. And we hope to do this again again real soon. Thank you, Tom. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. And today we've been talking with Beverly Jones about her new book, Find Your Happy at Work. Our tip for today is that some of your experience at work reflects choices that you make. If you're feeling stuck, find ways to vary your routine and make an effort to learn something new. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll come back soon.